0: And considering the the tensions that we've had over other arms agreements over the past 20 years with the Russians, we're we're in good shape with this. And all we have to do is basically sign it and say, hey, five more years of this and we're good.
1: Welcome to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Andrew Holland. This week, we have a conversation with Matthew Wallen, ASP's Fellow for Public Diplomacy, to talk about the New START Treaty. New START is a strategic arms limitation treaty between the United States and Russia that is due to expire on February 2021. At this point, Russia has said they are willing to extend the treaty, but the Trump administration has made no effort to move forward on resuming this critical treaty. Now, 10 years ago, when New START was first passed, through Congress and negotiated, ASP played a critical role in sh- showing the national security need for nuclear weapons limits. Today, the need remains, but does the American will? Matthew and I discuss all this further. ASP has worked on this issue since our founding 15 years ago. It is critically important. See our show notes if you want to learn more.
0: I hope you enjoy the conversation. Matthew Wallen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. You know, I'd say it's good to be here, but I think I've been sitting in the same chair for the last four or five months now, so it's good to be here from a distance. That's right.
1: You know, uh, we're all working in the same spot for all this time, but hey, why not? Today, we're talking about New Start. That we are. Let's start at the beginning, literally. Conveniently. Uh, (laughs) What is New Start, and how does it fit into the the long history of strategic arms uh, reduction
0: treaties. So New START is a arms control agreement that is designed to restrict the number of deployed strategic nuclear weapons that both the United States and Russia can deploy at any one time. Uh, In terms of its history, it follows along a a long history of arms control agreements dating Mm -hmm. back to the 70s um, that were really ramped up under the Reagan administration and then continued through the Bush, the Clinton, and then the Bush administrations again. Um, After that, when those agreements were all pretty much expiring, the Obama administration put together the New START agreement with Russia in order to continue that tradition of uh, preventing an arms race of nuclear weapons.
1: These these treaties are between the U.S. and the first the Soviet Union and then and yes, now the U.S. The and Russia. Yes, first the Soviet Union
0: uh, and after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Russia became the successor to the to those treaties legally.
1: So let's start at first principles. Why do we need strategic arms treaties? Why can't we just have a, a competition between, you know,
0: two nuclear countries? because frankly bert the turtle is not an effective mascot for preventing nuclear weapons or uh, or preventing or our imminent deaths essentially uh, and for those right. of you who may not be you know familiar with bert the turtle he was the uh, the 1950s cartoon character that taught kids to duck and cover And I think we're all thankful that we live in a time where that's not a thing anymore. Even when it was a thing, duck and cover was just uh, to placate our, our mentality about this. That was not going to prevent people from being killed in a nuclear attack. So rather than being in the Cold War where we're constantly worried about nuclear annihilation and each country is fielding tens of thousands of nuclear weapons on a hair trigger alert, we all came to our senses and decided, well, it's probably a better idea to keep those numbers down, um, not only to prevent the the risk of an intentional nuclear war, uh, but to prevent the possibility of an accidental nuclear war. And if you look at the number of accidents that occurred from accidentally dropping bombs on our own territory to crashing nuclear-armed airplanes into each other um, to more recently flying B-52s across our own country not realizing they were fully armed with nuclear missiles, then you know frankly the the risk of accident was fairly high,
1: so the idea is with that is just simply reduce the numbers and you reduce the percentage of of mistakes if you know if there's a point one percent chance of a mistake at any time. if you just reduce the numbers, you reduce the the chance of a mistake exactly. but what about kind of the strategic choice? I mean, we started these these strategic arms talks with the Soviets while the U.S. and the Soviet Union were still head-to-head, nose-to-nose, rivals around the world, and you talked about the Reagan administration doing this, this isn't like the Reagan administration was friends with the evil empire, the Soviet Union. Why is it that these were seen as something to do, to, uh, an important way to, to push forward even when we were enemies with them?
0: I was attending a talk uh, a number of years ago by, uh, by Admiral Mullen, um, you know, former uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and, and he mentioned that one of the, the few existential threats to the United States and perhaps the only current existential threat is the Russian nuclear arsenal. And that's what it comes down to. It's the one thing that could potentially destroy the United States and cease its existence. With that in mind, I think cooler heads began to prevail and we realized that the number of nuclear weapons out there and their potential to literally destroy the entire planet multiple times over where we were having basically strategies that involved bouncing the rubble per se you know, as a method, method of, right. of winning a nuclear war um, really made people realize that these weapons were, I mean, number one, not usable and to a certain extent a waste of money. Because if we were wasting billions and billions of dollars, you know, in the hundreds of billions of dollars range, building weapons that were inherently unusable, I mean, what's, what's the point? I mean, even, even Reagan himself at one point said that the only point of nuclear weapons is to ensure that they're not used. And that's, that's the basic premise of deterrence. Right. So deterrence,
1: mutually assured destruction. This idea that you, you have to be able to deter your opposite side from attacking you that if they attack you will always be able to respond and uh, that way kind of the game theory works out that you know they won't attack because they know they'll be destroyed if they attack so the idea with these strategic arms limitations negotiations is to ensure that that mutual destruction continues right it, it, mad still holds it's just that you know you are mutually deterred at a lower number of weapons so at a lower cost and a a lower uh chance of of a mistaken explosion or something
0: mad mad still holds but it depends on the adversary that you're um that you're up against essentially. If you're dealing with parity states, that is, you know, the United States and the Soviet Union or the United States and Russia where the number of nuclear weapons and the ability to destroy each other is roughly equal, then yes, you have mutually assured destruct- destruction. Both countries if they get involved in a nuclear war will destroy each other. You know, it, it's not the Hamilton-Burr duel. It's the Hamilton-Burr duel where both of them die. Right. So in in that case, you know, if you look at a country, say, like North Korea or maybe China, the ability to retaliate by one of those countries isn't the same as, say, the United States and Russia. So then you get into assured destruction and uh, that, yes, you might have deterrence and that the cost could be great, but it doesn't necessarily mean that both uh, adversaries are going to be completely destroyed. Um, with with mutually assured destruction, we have reached the point with, with the Soviet Union that, frankly, we had the ability to mutually destroy each other so many times over that it was becoming redundant.
1: Right, right. It, it was redundant, but we were afraid to unilaterally cut. We couldn't unilaterally cut, because if if we unilaterally cut without negotiations with the Soviets or the Russians, then they could overwhelm our forces and it would no longer be mutually assured destruction. It would be assured destruction. So that's why we, we felt we needed to negotiate with our adversaries.
0: Right, and, and frankly, reducing... The, the number of weapons the United States has in conjunction with the Soviet Union or Russia, it, it works basically as a bargaining chip. If you really want to reduce the threat to yourself, you hold your own ability to threaten your adversary as a bargaining chip in that. You know, it's sort of the, the let's both lower our guns at the same time sort of trope that you might, might see in, in, in a movie, uh, sure. except the consequences uh, involve, you know, hundreds of millions of people as opposed to just the two characters on the screen.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Well, okay. So, with those sort of uh, the the basics laid out, uh, what is New Start? New Start is uh, was signed what? 10 years ago.
0: Uh, almost 10 years ago, yeah. New START yeah. is basically a follow-on agreement that, that replaced the previous SORT agreement, which was similar in many ways. It reduced, uh, you know, the number of strategic offensive weapons that the two could carry to to between, you know, 1,700 and, and 2,200 weapons. New START takes those reductions further. Uh, it cements new types of uh, inspection routines, preserves some re- inspection routines, changes the way that weapons are counted in some way. So, you know, if we get down into the nitty-gritty of it, you know, New START reduces the number of deployed strategic nuclear weapons to 1,550 per side. Okay, what does that mean, deployed strategic nuclear weapons? So deployed means they're they're ready to go. They're ready to fire. They're loaded onto an aircraft. Or they're loaded onto a submarine. They're currently stationed in a missile silo on top of, say, like a Minuteman missile or something like that. Right. Um, when it comes to strategic weapons, well, people think strategic. Well, that's war-winning. You know, that's, that's a big weapon. No, that's not actually necessarily the case. In this case, the strategic weapon is about... The distance that that weapon can travel. Right. So, when we're talking about something like an ICBM, say the current US uh, Minuteman 3, you know, that's got roughly uh, a 15,000 kilometer or a roughly 8,000 mile range. So, we're talking about uh, intercontinental level. Weapons. Yep. Now, this, of course, also includes things like bombers and, and submarines because they can carry the weapon to its target. Exactly. So when we're, when we're talking about the number of bombers deployed, they actually count a bomber as one warhead even if that bomber can carry, say, 15 or 20 warheads. And with submarines, the what I think is, is the most important part of the triad, the triad being, being our, our collection of, of land-based missiles, submarine missiles, and then uh, bombers yeah. that can carry nuclear weapons. You know, th- those submarines can sail into range, essentially, launch their weapons and then remain hidden under the surface.
1: Right in the kind of the parlance of game theory here, they're a second
0: strike. Right, and they're also considered basically a launcher. So, new start limits the number of launchers that can actually be um, deployed at any one time. So, even though you have these one thousand five hundred and fifty, you know, nuclear warheads, your ability to launch them is somewhat restricted. So, you're only allowed to have seven hundred launchers, essentially. Uh, and those can be mounted again on submarines. They could be land based, or they can be the bombers themselves. Yeah. Um, and you're only allowed to keep an additional 100. That is, if you've maxed out the 700. So you can have a total of 800 deplo- or, uh, deployed and non-deployed launchers. So essentially, launchers that are sitting in reserve that you can bring up right. after a certain uh, amount of time because they se- they simply take time to set yeah. up. So this this prevents a um, basically a breakout ability. For countries that want to r- rapidly uh, expand their their launch uh, capability, uh, that makes it a lot more difficult for the U.S. or Russia to do that.
1: So, so here we are, almost 10 years out, and it was a 10-year negotiated time period, right? So uh, mm-hmm. once, once that 10-year clock runs out next spring, then uh, barring some sort of thing to extend it or renegotiate it, it will expire and then there will be no no longer any mutual limits on nuclear weapons. On
0: anything. Yeah. On anything in the nuclear realm. There will be no restrictions and no agreements currently in place between the U.S. and Russia, which basically puts us back on an original Cold War footing when, you know, during the 1950s and 60s, there were zero restrictions. Yeah. And that's a, a pretty dangerous route. And and even if you look at at, you know, New START, even though it's a 10-year agreement— it had a seven-year implementation period, so it wasn't until 2018 that both U.S. and Russia came into full compliance with with the uh, number of, of weapons that could be deployed. And even then, the number of weapons fluctuate. So even though we're curr- you know we're currently set to have a maximum of this 1,550, um, neither the U.S. or Russia is currently fielding that number of deployed weapons it's closer to the 1350 to 1400 range so you know this this shows that you know both sides don't necessarily need the full number of weapons that these these uh, treaties allow so if that's the case
1: then why do we need a treaty at all it it sure seems like that the Trump administration here is making no efforts to extend the treaty and and if you look through the last couple of years has actually pulled out of a number of uh, treaties, especially arms limitation treaties. So, you know, to play devil's advocate here, if they're keeping below the limit and we're keeping below the limit, why not just let it expire?
0: Because then there's no upper limit. I mean, essentially, both both are free to, to be under it because they know the, the, the limit that, they are, that they're held yeah. to, essentially. You know, they, they know they can build more if they want to get up to a certain amount, but if they don't need to, what's the point? I mean, when, when it comes to arms control agreements, these things are, are, are difficult to negotiate. And it's uh, mind-boggling to me why the Trump administration doesn't want to do this, you know, especially if, if we look at their position that, you know, uh, you know, Russia can be our friend, you know, this is something that Russia wants to be our right. friend about. There's no evidence that they've uh, exceeded any of the limits. They've they've stayed completely within compliance of the agreement. And considering the, the tensions that we've had over other arms agreements over the past 20 years with the Russians, we're in, we're in good shape with this. And all we have to do is basically sign yeah. it and say, hey, five more years of this. And, and, and by good. the way, you know, um, the, the
1: United States knows that they're in compliance with it because of the verification protocols within it
0: because we're actually we can going to literally in. send yeah we can literally send inspectors into russia 18 times a year with little notice we can go and physically look at all of their nuclear weapon systems we can point at a random rocket and say count the number of of weapons that are on it and we can go look at it 18 times a year uh, multiple different sites and both countries take full advantage yeah. of this there's been thousands of uh, data exchanges. There's been, you know, telemetry exchanges for miss- missiles. What this does is this creates transparency. You know, there's there's a saying or, or a theory within within the international relations field of. The, the security yeah. dilemma, basically, that when a country builds weapons defensively, another country might interpret that as an exactly. offensive yeah. capability. So what they do in response is they build weapons to, to match that capability or to exceed it. And it just becomes this never-ending yeah. cycle. New START tries to eliminate that by actually saying, look, here are our weapons. Come look at them. That's They're right. not secrets. You know exactly how many we have. And because you know how many we have, what they can do and where they are— you don't need to yeah. build more than we have. And we can both sort of put an upper limit to the amount of, of, uh, of this, to, to yeah, the end goes, of the cycle. It goes back to kind of the
1: game theory idea in, in that, you know, in, a, uh, in an arms race, it's pr- a prisoner's dilemma, right? So that the prisoner's dilemma is that both sides are losers if they continue to, to, to build more weapons. But that's the, the kind of the baseline, the Nash equilibrium, the, the equilibrium.
0: But, but where, even, where, even yeah. on top of that, you know, it's not so much about winning or losing because it actually eliminates both of those things. Neither country loses and neither country yeah, wins exactly. in a way because they've eliminated the ability to win a nuclear That's war. Right. And, you know, if we go back to the Cold War, like I was mentioning before, bouncing the rubble was, was yeah. the tactic to win yeah, a nuclear yeah, exactly. war.
1: So, so one of the reasons we hear why the Trump administration doesn't want to do anything more on this is China. And so these are, this is a negotiation that has existed solely between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, The Trump administration says, well, China is actually our our greater strategic threat around the world. Why isn't China involved in this?
0: They're not in the same league, remotely. You know, the the U.S. has something like 20 times the number of nuclear weapons that that China does. Um, China's got roughly, you know, less than 400 nuclear weapons that that we know about and most of them don't have the range they don't they simply don't have the missile force to to reach the united states at the same level that the russians do i mean when we're talking about the the us and russia each you know possessing somewhere in the the 5 to 6000 range of total nuclear warheads compared to china which is you know sitting down there at, at right. 400 it's just—it's not in the same—it's not in the same league. It doesn't pose the same threat. It doesn't have the same capabilities. You know, China might be the one of the more um, uh, powerful nuclear countries in the world, but you know, if we're comparing on power, you know, China—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's simply not yeah. the same league. I mean, the, the U.S. and Russia are so um, so much more well equipped, uh, so much more advanced. Um, China simply doesn't compete in this and, in this realm. Does the Chinese arsenal pose a threat? Sure. Does it pose a threat that could uh, literally f- physically destroy the entire United States? Right. Now?
1: And the and the idea is that there's no no need to negotiate those those limits down with the Chinese because the Chinese are already well under any sort of limit that that the United States would have. So so there's no good right, reason and- to do it. We we deter them and their deterrence theory is different it's not mutually assured destruction it's just raise the cost enough to to ensure that that they think that they could get a couple of weapons through and and that would be enough to stop the united states from doing any sort of
0: and that's that's a valid type of yeah. of deterrent i mean the, the deterrence is really to to make the cost yeah. high enough that your adversary won't take the course of action that will destroy yeah. you. So China has calculated where roughly its deterrent level, where its strategic needs actually are and has met them. And it also employs a, a no first use policy. You know, China has basically stated we will not be the first ones to use nuclear weapons. The United States does not. Have yeah. that policy. And and additionally, the Chinese also, as far as we are aware, don't have their weapons and deployed status. The warheads are not actually mated to hmm. the missiles. So that has them essentially off a hair trigger alert, unlike the US or Russia. And you know, the, the Chinese have, have, you know, and I hate to give credit to the Chinese, <laughs> you know, given given all the, the terrible stuff that they've been doing. But, you know, they, they've said, sure, you know, we'll, we'll be happy to participate in some sort of trilateral arms agreement with the United States and Russia. Russia has said the same thing. Yeah, sure, we'll, we're happy to have the Chinese involved. But the caveat for the Chinese is, well, you know, you have to reduce your weapons to the level that we're at, which is the 400. So it would be a 95% reduction in, in nuclear weapons. And frankly, frank, frankly, I don't think the United States is yeah. ready to do that. By the way, maybe that would be a good idea. But, you know, yeah, we're, it's just you know, a,
1: it's such a drastic stack step. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think we could be perfectly content with 400 yeah. nuclear weapons. But yeah, this this takes time. I mean, we usually reduce these things a few hundred mm-hmm. at a time. And, and I think that's okay. But, you know, I think there are ways to potentially get the Chinese involved in nuclear arms agreements. But this one, where the stakes are so high between the US and Russia, a, the idea of tossing that away essentially in order to involve basically a non-player is is yeah and
1: and you know honestly i i do think that that one of the ways one of the the places to to most go after the chinese is on the intermediate nuclear uh, missiles sort of stuff where they do have you know a strong intermediate distance ballistic missile program and if we could figure out a way to negotiate with them and get them involved in that, that might be a good thing. But of course, the United States pulled out of that.
0: China's big strength is in the intermediate range. And and when you say that the United States pulled out of that, Andrew's referring to the intermediate nuclear forces agreement that the US signed with the Soviet Union in the 80s. That one was a difficult one to get signed. The Russians hated it. They hated being forced into it. And we did a number of, of things in order to get them to sign it, from deploying our own equivalent missiles in Europe to working heavily in the public diplomacy sphere with local newspapers in Europe. Because Europeans didn't want us to be prodding the Russians to get them to sign this either. But, but we worked hard to get public opinion to shift enough in Europe to allow us to deploy nuclear weapons to counter the Russians to get them to finally sign this Intermediate Forces right. Agreement. Getting China to sign this will be difficult because at that point, well, they don't really have a strong long-range strategic deterrence against the United States. So their real strength in their nuclear force is in the intermediate yes. range. And if we're basically telling the Chinese, well, we don't want you to have these weapons that you're actually competent with either. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, would a, be, a, it'd a, be difficult, a hard pull, um,
1: and would be difficult to go through. But you know, ultimately, if If the United States cared about, you know, actual arms limitation, that that could be a way to go forward instead of using the Chinese as a sort of poison pill to to not renegotiate New START.
0: And you know the the difficulties. You know the the additional thorn in the side of trying to negotiate that type of agreement with the, with the Chinese is the North Korean yeah. deterrent as well. Because you know we're not just dealing with the the Chinese in terms of the nuclear threat in Eastern yeah. Asia. We now have to contend with the with the North right. Koreans. The Chinese might say, "Well, okay, we want you to pull all of your nuclear forces out of the region if we're going to agree yeah. to this." And, I wouldn't say that necessarily puts us at a disadvantage with, with the North Koreans. You know, even if they do use a nuclear weapon, we're still going to beat them in yeah. a war. But it Raises it, the cost. it makes the, the situation yeah. more yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So here we are, next
1: spring sometime, New START, given nothing else, New START will expire.
0: Uh, also next spring... In yeah, February. In, okay, in February, New START will expire. So, so right, right around the time that, that there may be a potential administration so that, change. You know, we, did, we don't know this yet for that's sure. That's right. But. So...
1: So the, the new administration, whether it's a Trump or a Biden administration, is going to have exactly. this on their plate right away. So what, what could we expect right away? Probably just an extension, right, since nobody's doing the legwork to actually do any sort of update.
0: The extension is easy. Yeah. You basically got to sign it and say, We're, we want an extension, and then you get another five years out of it. That gives you an additional five years to negotiate a replacement. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's no provision for another extension on top okay. of that. That, to me, at this point, seems to be the best option. I mean, the Russians have said they want okay. an extension. So let's just sign it and get it yeah. over with. And that gives us time to, to think about something else. Now, if we don't sign it, well, then, you know, all bets are off. Before President Trump came into office, he had mentioned at some point, you know, let there be an arms yeah. race, essentially. What a waste of money.
1: You know, no, exactly. there are there
0: are plenty of other weapon systems I can think of that we need to be spending money yeah. on. You know, whether that's uh, you know the new B twenty one, which will be a nuclear capable bomber, but frankly, you know, the B two is aging yep. out you know it's it's already 30 years yep. old the B52 you know we're talking about a plane that the last version of it was built in the 1960s it's going to be an 80 to 100 year old bomber we complain about the, the amount of money we spend on the military but frankly we keep some of this stuff for a really long time it gets old yeah. and it needs to be replaced in order to to be able to keep using it and to uphold the credibility of the deterrent but we're talking about new drone technology that we need countering cyber threats there's so many other areas that we could be spending this money on versus another you know 5000 nuclear weapons that we can't even use yeah. spend the money on the weapons that we actually do use or or the defensive equipment. Frankly, you know, body armored, better armored vehicles. Yeah, you know, your podcast from the other week on uh, on electricity and That's possibly right. having electric vehicles yeah. to to sever the uh, totally. the reliance on on fossil fuels and, and having to to drag convoys across the deserts and mountains. Yeah, I mean there there are practical technologies that we need out th- that we need out there on the battlefield that we can use. And frankly, you know, with, with everything going on with COVID right now, and there's likely going to be cuts for budgets across the government. That's right. Um, we need to be strategic, you know, no pun intended, about what we choose to spend our money on. Exactly right. And so let's let's keep the uh,
1: let's keep New Start, and then figure out ways to you know reduce it further. While you know, if you want to modernize the nuclear deterrence, which we've said we need we need to do, and we want to do. It's a heck of a lot easier to modernize 1,000, 1,300 weapons than it is to modernize 5,000 weapons so, so, and cheaper and everything like that. So it makes sense. You know, ASP, one of the things that, that ASP did, we haven't mentioned this yet, you know, 10 years ago. ASP deployed our consensus for American security for the first time, you know, our advisory board of national security leaders to talk about the importance of START. And, and I think we were a critically important player in, in getting that passed and making the case that, hey, there's a national security reason to reduce your weapons. So, you know, we'll, we'll certainly be continuing to make this case as, as February rolls forward. But, you know, it, it's just such an obvious thing that, that it's shocking to me that this hasn't been done yet.
0: Well, this is, this is the, the reality that we live in. But, you know, you mentioned modernization. We also live in a reality where we've decided to basically fit JDAM, joint direct attack emission style tail kits on nuclear weapons. In order to make them more accurate. I mean, <laughs> there, there's there's a debate about how accurate you need to be with with a uh, with a nuclear weapon. But you know, hey, I, mean, I guess if you want to destroy a single bunker underground, you know, we now got a, uh, a a kit that will allow you to hit that bunker with your nuclear bombs. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Somehow, <laughs> somehow, it seems like if you're using a, a nuclear weapon, that that changes the calculus a good bit on how accurate you need to be. Just slightly. <laughs> well, well, Matthew, uh, thank you. We always like to finish these up by by talking about you know the headlines of the future. What's the headline we should be working for here in the next five or ten years? Say the next decade. Is, is there a chance for for not only re-signing New Start, but but looking forward to smarter and, and more effective and and increasing
0: strategic arms limitation. I think think there is a chance for for either extending it or uh, or replacing it. I'm not going to – if there's anything that I've learned in the past four or five years is not to make predictions about the future. Um, But I can hope that there will be a a follow-on agreement to it. I I could hope that if it does expire in February that cooler heads will prevail and there will be a desperate scramble to replace it or to decide to extend it further even if it's already expired. But but really, I'm hoping that over the next ten years, let's say it's five years after this extension, that there is a um, I don't know if it's New Start squared or double New Start or or whatever we're at in terms of a name. They usually come up with some sort of pronounceable acronym. Yeah. Um, but the acronym of the day will be a new uh, new arms agreement that brings the U.S. and Russia probably closer down to 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 about a thousand deployed nuclear weapons. I think that's a yeah. realistic goal, and I think that still meets. Uh, the needs of the strategic deterrent, and that'll allow us to have potentially, you know, better weapons, ones that are that are more effective, more reliable, less costly, ideally, but still set the trend towards mutual reductions. Now, we don't necessarily need to be completely tied to Russia. Mm-hmm. We can determine our own deterrent needs on our own, but I, I think we should continue to probably use the uh, the bargaining chip to lower the threshold yeah. and, and, and to keep the heat down well, th- in the nuclear. Well, thanks,
1: Matthew. And for for folks uh, listening, you can go to our website, AmericanSecurityProject.org. And we've got a lot of writing and research over the years on New START and nuclear weapons and deterrent theory and all that sort of stuff. So take a look there. And otherwise, thanks, Matthew. Thanks, Andrew.